Hi everyone, I'm Alex. Our second scripture reading today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-18. to By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience, once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I hope you have been finding that God has been speaking to you through his word in our series on 2 Corinthians. Today we'll be thinking about how we might all live a life that is approved by God. And as we begin, let's pray once again. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that as we reflect on your word, that you'll do your work in our hearts, so that the life we live might be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we live in a world with so many impressive things and impressive people. But who is it that impresses you in life? Well, I'm impressed by many of you in in our church. I'm impressed by those of you who can play the guitar and sing at the same time in tune. I can't do any of those things properly. In fact, the other week I thought, well, I might get involved with singing in our church. So I tried. I recorded myself. Yvonne listened and she thought, this is hideous. Don't embarrass yourself. A normal wife might encourage her husband, but she was being very honest and loving. I'm also impressed by those of you who can multitask. You see, when I cook breakfast, I can only focus on one thing at a time. I'll do the eggs first, and then the bacon, and then the toast, 
And by the end, when I plate everything up, it is all cold and I leave a huge mess in the kitchen. But Yvonne, she can multitask. She's all over the place. When she cooks, it is already at the same time. It is hot and it is great. I'm impressed by her. But more seriously, who is it that impresses you in life? You see, in the world in which we live, the people who are considered impressive are the people who are impressive. The sophisticated, the intelligent, the glamorous, those who can draw a crowd, those who have a large following, however many likes and followers on Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn. Or in the corporate world, the impressive people are those who have what they call the executive presence. When people will just stop talking when you enter the room because you have this aura about you and you can inspire confidence. It's in fact how our world rewards people, isn't it? The impressive people get rewarded with status and honour and prestige and wealth and recognition. And so in our world, the way up is the way up. And I wonder whether the way of living, of thinking in our world, has also shaped the life of the church. Do we appoint leaders because they are impressive in the eyes of the world? Or is there something else we look for? Or the church I decide to join and to commit to, was it because I was impressed by the caliber of the leaders and pastors? Or was there something more significant and deeper that I was looking for? Or when I go about serving, do I serve to impress? Or do I serve because I want to? Well, in this passage, a change of gears from the last two chapters, which was on money. The Apostle Paul, in this passage, he shows himself so different to the ways of the world. And he was addressing a problem he was seeing in this church. The church was behaving just like the world and looked at all that was slick and glossy and shiny as opposed to substance and character and as opposed to what God really thinks. And so instead of being impressed with the impressive, the Apostle Paul is teaching in this passage, it is the one whom God commends who is approved. Which means what is important is not so much what I think of you or what you think of me or even what we think of ourselves, but what God thinks. And we'll begin here in this passage a bit differently from other weeks in that we'll begin at the last verse, which is where this passage is headed. Have a look at verse 18 with me. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And so who is the one God thinks highly of? Whatever our world thinks, who is the one God commends? Well, firstly, we see here, it is the meek and gentle. Now, what we have to understand here is a bit of the context before we can understand why this is so significant. Remember, this was the Corinthian church, which was a troublesome church. They've caused poor much grief, not only in approving the immorality that was prevalent in the church, but also how the church so easily fell foul to these impressive, what Paul would later call in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 5, he would call them the super apostles, these Christian philosophers, these eloquent preachers who won them over by their amazing oratory skills, by their preaching, by their teaching, by their prestige, by their CV, 
and they made a lot of money from them. And because they thought themselves so impressive, these super apostles, they looked down on the apostle Paul. They thought, well, what a pathetic weakling he was. How could he even call himself an apostle? He's not impressive at all. And so that was what Paul was up against, this trouble in this church. But instead of coming down hard on them, Paul could have said, well, by the holiness of Christ I come to you, or by the justice of Christ I'll come and I'll bring a rod. Instead, look at what Paul says in verse 1. Look at verse 1. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ I appeal to you. And that is what God commends, a character that is Christ-like. You see, when anyone makes an accusation against you, especially if it is unfair or ungrounded, what normally happens? Well, the defences might go up, we might get defensive, we might even go on the attack. But God, he commends the one who is meek and gentle, the one who is slow to take offence. Don't get offended so easily. The one who is generous in his estimates of others. You see, that is not the way of our world. What happens in our world when debates, when arguments happen, they just get louder, shout, scream and even get abusive. But who is the one God commends? It is the meek and gentle. It is counter-cultural. Well, next we see the one God commends is the one who proclaims the gospel. And it is here described as one who wields the weapon of truth. And Paul here, he uses a military analogy. Now this might sound strange, but it is to at least remind us that we are in a spiritual battle. Not a battle with tanks and machine guns, but a battle of ideas. Or more specifically, a battle to uphold the truth, so that the minds of men and women might be taken captive and made obedient to Christ. You see, there were these super spiritual, super impressive, so-called super apostles who were winning the church over away from the gospel by what they were teaching. And they were using what Paul calls he, the weapons of this world. You see, in the ancient world, public speaking was a big deal. People would pay to listen to big note speakers talk and share their ideas. And that's why we read in Acts 17, the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to their latest ideas. But this here was a Christianized version of it. And they used the weapons of the world, the weapons of the day, which were rhetoric, showmanship, charm, charisma, self-promotion to win people over. And it's really no different today. The weapons are the same. We see it in every election campaign. It's the charm, the self-promotion and often spin. Look at how good I am. Look at how impressive I am and vote for me. I mean, leaders win people over with their ideas by their impressive, persuasive oratory skills. I mean, Hitler, he was an impressive communicator and that's how he won the command of the nation. Even the advertisements we see today on TV, they are good at what they do. They seduce you, they tempt you, they manipulate you into wanting their product. In fact, not too long ago, one of my sons saw this ad for a protein bar on TV. A protein bar. How could you ever be impressed by a protein bar? 
But what happened, he saw the commercial enough and he told us that he even had a dream about the protein bar. I'm sure it was a very important and exciting dream. But Paul says here, that is not the weapon I use. Not rhetoric, charm, charisma. It may rouse a nation, but that's not what I'm on about. What I'm on about is changing the human heart. And that's what he means in verse 4. Have a look. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so what is it that will break down the barrier within the human mind and human heart that thinks there is no God? Or what is it that will demolish the idea that humans are self-sufficient and independent of God, that we don't need God? Or what is it that will turn a staunch atheist into a professing disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, you might try to argue a skeptic into a corner, but you cannot change his heart, nor will you take his mind captive for Christ. It's not rhetoric, charisma, certainly not spin that Paul relies on, but it is the weapon with divine power. And what is that? It is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And that is why Paul did not feel deficient in any way. You see, when he came to Corinth, he came not with eloquence or superior wisdom, nor with wise or persuasive words. You see, he didn't come there to make a good speech. But he came with divine power by simply proclaiming the message of the cross, which is foolishness in the eyes of the world. And it sounds so foolish. A, a man who was crucified is the only saviour of the world. But who is it that God commends? Well, not the impressive leader who has the gift of the gab. In fact, even if you are an unimpressive communicator, the shy kid at school, the introverted teenager, you wield the weapon of divine power, the gospel message that can change a heart. And so who is it that God commends? Well, the one who proclaims the gospel. And next we see the one who is a faithful builder. You see, Paul was accused of many things. Look at verse 10. We see the accusation laid against him. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful. And in person, he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Now imagine hearing that, not only as an apostle, but as any person. You've given your sweat and blood into loving this church. And for some to say to you, this guy's hopeless. He's so unimpressive. I mean, wouldn't that just break your heart? What would you do? Well, if someone's intention was to tear you down, perhaps it's natural to tear him or her down. But consider the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 8. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I would not be ashamed of it. You see, when Paul rebuked the church, corrected the church, called out its immorality, it was not for the purpose of tearing them down, but for building them up. The word here is the edification word. It is to build up. 
You see, it's very easy if you consider yourself a nice person to shy away from the difficult conversations, to shy away from confronting that brother or sister about their sin because it will make them feel bad. But Paul would have none of it. He wanted to build them up like a faithful builder in godliness, in maturity. And so he will rebuke, he will correct, he will discipline and he won't be ashamed of it. And you see why such a person is commended by God. It's because his concern was not for himself to appear nice, to be likable, to be seen as impressive. But he worked for the good of the church as a faithful builder. And don't we see brothers and sisters like that in our church? The one who has the encouraging word to say to build us up. But also the one who would call us aside and say, Brother, you know I love you, but you cannot go on living such a lifestyle. It is dishonouring to God. And so who is the one commended by God? The meek and gentle, the gospel proclaimer, the faithful builder, and finally we see here the humble servant. And that was exactly the opposite to how some were behaving in this church They were blowing their own trumpets, drawing attention, seeking acclamation. They're saying, look at me, look at all that I've done. We see this in verse 12. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. It's it's like a guy who looks into the mirror and says, what a good looking guy. I look better than I did yesterday. Now, I'm sure none of you would do that. But not only that, they were boasting and taking credit for the work Paul has done in Corinth. You see, it was Paul who spent 18 months there to build and establish the church. It was Paul who labored over them in prayer, in service, with tears, so that they would be built up. And now these so-called super apostles, they come along and they take credit for it. And they're proud of it. And that's why Paul says, that's not what I would do. Look at verse 15. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. And then verse 16. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory. Instead, Paul will serve as a humble servant. And if there is to be any boasting at all, it will not be in my achievements or my successes, not in what I can do, nor in what I have done, but it will be in God, in knowing God. And Paul here, he quotes Jeremiah chapter 9. Let's have a look. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. You see, if there is to be any boasting at all, then boast in the fact that you, a mere human being, can know God. Otherwise you are a humble servant, a servant who who seeks not the approval of men or women, but only the approval of God. 
I mean, who cares what the world ultimately thinks of me as long as my God commends me? And that is our final verse again. Verse 18, have a look. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. The one whom God commends is his faithful, humble servant. Not one who seeks attention, not one who seeks to impress, not one who would in no way try to take any glory that belongs to God alone. And so what has this passage taught us? Or in a world where we are easily impressed by the impressive, in a world where we are attracted to the impressive, in a world where we are tempted to be that impressive, to win the applause and acclaim of men and women, to perhaps even make a name for ourselves, it seems so natural. But how significant would all those things be in a thousand years' time? You know, the different titles I have in front of my name or the numerous letters after my name? Would it really matter in a thousand years' time? You see, living my life to impress does not mean I find myself impressing God. I'll say that again. Living my life to impress does not mean I find myself impressing God. In fact, very often it's the opposite. For God humbles the proud and lifts up the humble. And so the lesson is this. We don't strive to impress like in the ways of our world, but we strive for God and for his approval. I've often shared with our staff team, sometimes we spend some time reflecting on just how ministry is going. And we'll have good stories and sad stories and difficult stories and heartening stories. And though we serve you, the church, and you serve us, I remind our staff team that we have the audience of one. Your audience is not me, the senior pastor. You're not trying to impress me. You're not trying to impress the people you serve. Our audience is our Father in heaven. You see, if I seek to impress you, the congregation, first, then I'll end up being a lesser minister. But if I was to seek to please God first, that's how I learned to be a better minister. And in fact, it applies to every aspect of life. If I seek as a husband to impress Yvonne, my wife, first, then I'll end up being a lesser husband. But if I was to seek to please God first, that's how I learned to be a better husband. And it's the same as a father. If I seek as a father to impress my kids first, then I'll end up being a lesser father. But if I was to seek to please God first, that's how I learned to be a better father. And it's the same with friendship. You try to impress your friend, you'll be a lesser friend. But if you try to please God first, you'll be a better friend. And so do you see how liberating this is in life? I serve the Lord and I seek his approval alone. It means, you see, the way we live and serve, it shapes everything. If I seek the Lord's approval alone, it does not matter if my hard work, my countless hours, my sleepless nights, my years of striving, my enormous efforts for the Lord, never sees the light of day, never once acknowledged by even my closest brother or sister, never once thanked by those I serve, 
never even once given, even just one clap, it doesn't matter because the Lord sees. And so do you see how liberating that is? Because it releases me to serve like I've got nothing to lose but everything to gain. You see, a thousand men will have a thousand comments. And not that opinions and advice and comments and critiques or even criticisms are unimportant. In fact, the wise man is always open to being a good listener. But the comments that matter, in fact, the one comment that matters most, the one comment that I seek most is the comment of my Father in heaven. And wouldn't it be a joy that will extend into all eternity for all of us to one day hear that sweet, sweet word of commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. You have lived well. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you will produce in us by the powerful working of your Spirit, not a heart that seeks to impress in the ways of this world, but a heart that is meek and gentle, a boldness that will always proclaim the gospel, a zeal to be a faithful builder, and a humility that seeks only to please you alone. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.